This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Let's go back in time to 1932 as Converse brings you historic footage of the legendary original Celtics with whom all great professional teams are compared. We have now taken over your radio. Richie Guerin is about to show you the most important step in getting past a man. It's the first one. And Oscar will inbound it. The men in green, the Milwaukee Bucks, that's Al Cinder against Bellamy. Has Jordan, Allen shakes, Gray gets two! Gilmore on a big stop! Oh, brother! Leave Toledo, Artis, you get 21! 4.28 to go in the first quarter for the Cow Palace. Here's Barry. And welcome back to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Mann. And with me again is Jared Dubin, the editor emeritus of Harvard Paroxysm and the host of Quo Vadimus on our HP network. Uh, Jared, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back once again. It's uh, We're doing this back-to-back. It's very exciting. Yeah, it is. Um, so we today are going to talk about uh, Tracy McGrady, who is... Uh, 85th all-time in win shares, 86th in win shares per 48, uh, 22nd in box score plus minus, 29th in value over replacement player. Uh, he is a, a two-time All-NBA first team, three times on the second team, uh, twice on the third team. Uh, had uh, one top 10 season of uh, win shares per 48, although three seasons in win shares in total. Uh, six times uh, value replacement player in, in the top 10 in the league. Uh, the uh, Bill Simmons Pyramid has him 77th out of 98, and the Slam 500 has him as 97th. Um, you know, he was an incredibly elite player for uh, you know four or five seasons, including one really transcendent year. Um, Obviously didn't have the longevity of some of his peers, but uh, certainly while he was uh, a great player, he was quite amazing. So uh, what do you think about Tracy McGrady's top 50 case? 
Yeah, I think it's an it's an outside case for sure. Um, I think you, if you were doing something like a top fifty talents list, he would be significantly more likely to make it because you saw how good at the peak of his powers he was. He was, you know, right firmly in the mix of that uh, like Kobe Dwayne Wade conversation. Um, but he was one of those guys who's the, the candle burned extremely brightly, but it didn't burn for very long. Um, you know, the first three years of his career when he was in Toronto, he um, didn't play that much. And, and the you know, the one season that he did, he didn't have um, a lot of responsibility because he played on the same team uh, with, with Vince and a couple other guys that were, um, you know, more established. Um then you know his his four season run in Orlando was just incredible, and uh, the the first few years in Houston were really good as well, and then very quickly his body started to deteriorate, uh, you know because of the knee injuries and the back injury, um, so it was sort of like he had this seven season run, where he was just I mean, there was nothing like a T Mac scoring binge, um, you know very much. Um, like another guy who was, you know, I would say my my current favorite player is Russell Westbrook. Um, my, my favorite player for a long time was T-Mac. They're both what I call binge scorers where, you know, all of a sudden they'll just go on a run where they put up like 14 or 15 consecutive points or, you know, 16 of their team's 20 points or something like that. Uh, they, were, they were both very similar in that way, uh, but they would also go, you know, long stretches of missing a bunch of jumpers in a row. And then all of a sudden it would just be like another scoring binge down the other team's throat. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the, the, when T-Mac would do that, you know, like the, the famous, uh, whatever it was, 13 points in 31 seconds. Um, it, it, it was just like, you would be stunned the way it would happen. It's sort of incomprehensible, especially because of, you know, he always got this rep where he was lazy because, you know, the way he moved was so smooth that it didn't look like he was trying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in that sense, not like Westbrook at all, who was like every movement looks like he's, you know, coming out of his body. Um, I, I relate it sort of like to, to baseball with Robinson Cano, where, you know, when he was at his peak for the Yankees, Everything looked like it came so easily for him. His swing was so smooth. His defense, it looked like he was gliding in the field. T-Mac was very much like that, too, where it looked like he was sort of gliding up and down the court rather than running. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think he sort of got, at times, a bit of an unfair rap for being lazy. You know, the one negative for him is that um, not – much success in the playoffs. Uh, yes. I, yeah. I, I, I don't believe he ever got out of the first round with the exception of when he was uh, hanging on with the uh, Spurs. The year they went to the finals and he was signed to the team very at right. the end of the season and, and barely played. Other than and he that, had that, that quote. Um, I think it was one, either his first or second year in Orlando where they went up on the Pistons. Uh, they were one game away from going to the second round. 
and he was like, it feels great to go on to the second round, and then the Pistons came back and won the series. Yeah, they were up 3-1, I think. Yeah. Um, and it, w- it was the first year where it was seven games in the first round, so if it had been the year before, they would have won the series. Right. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know. Does, does that – do you put any weight on that at all or um... – Somewhat, um, but I'm a, also a person who – players don't win games or series. Teams do. Um, and, and I do think you can fault, um, you know, some of the times in Orlando they were better than the teams they lost. Like, I think they were better than that Detroit team that they lost to. And, and that's something I think you can fault a little bit. But when you're, you know, a lower seed in the Western Conference in, you know, the, the mid-2000s with all of those ridiculous teams, uh, I'm not sure how much you can fault him for that, especially... You know, Yao was hurt all the time, too. And then even in Orlando, Grant Hill was hurt all the time. These are teams that he was, like, superhumanly carrying to the heights they were at already. So it's it's difficult to, to you know, quote-unquote blame him for not getting further. Um, I think, in a way, it's a lot like Carmelo, who was, you know, a guy that was dragging teams to lower half of the Western Conference seeds and then just getting beat by better teams. Um, you know, it, it, it does knock him in terms of, you know, greatest players lists, I guess. But it, it doesn't diminish for me how good he was, if, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I... It- it is sort of like one of those things that kind of makes you wonder a little bit because, um, I mean, he had those great seasons and usually players that produce on the level that he produced are able to um, lead their teams further in the playoffs. And he had, he had some good teams in there, although he had some really kind of stinky teams too that he kind of carried to, you know, eighth seeds um, along those lines. So um, it, it sort of limits him on the track. record, but, but I think there's enough – you know, um, understandable reasons for why there, he didn't have more playoff success. That I, it's a, right. it's a slight it's, negative. It's but. not like he came into the playoffs and was just terrible. Right. Um, I think, with the exception of one year, uh, he was uniformly like quite good still in the playoffs. Like I, I remember his first year in Orlando that he was averaging something like thirty four, thirty five points six or seven rebounds, seven or eight assists a game through, uh, I think, what was a 3-1 loss Mm -hmm. in the first round of the playoffs, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, 0-1, he had 33.8 points, 8.3 assists, 6.5 rebounds, and it looks like that's the series you're talking about, yeah. Yeah. So Um, I mean, and he was just a guy that, throughout both the regular season and the playoffs, always had to carry... Such massive responsibility um, in his team's offenses. You know, routinely usage rates like in the the 30 to 35 range, um, you know, scoring like, you know, again, 30-something points a game and also carrying assist rates like in the 25 to 30 range. Mm -hmm. Um you know, just looking at that o two o three season, which I think was the year that they lost uh, that seven game series to uh, the Pistons. Yeah, I believe to, you're right. The Pistons. Yeah, yeah. 
he had a, a 35 usage rate and a, and a uh, 30% assist percentage also. Mm-hmm. So that like right there, he's responsible for 65% of the magic offense. I mean, that's just an insanity. Um, and you could tell just because of how much responsibility he had and, and how many minutes he was playing a lot of times, like at the end of games and certainly at the end of seasons, he was a bit worn down. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is part of what contributed to the, you know, he's not a clutch player type of stuff. Sure. Where he just didn't always have it in him by the end of the year. Um, which, you know, is, is a, certainly a thing that happened, but isn't necessarily the fairest thing to knock him for just because of how much he had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the one thing that I do think also played into that was uh, where Jeff Van Gundy said, I, I don't remember the exact quote, but he said that, that Tracy was a guy that didn't tap into the full extent of his talent, didn't always you know, go necessarily as hard as like a guy like Kobe did, where there was so much there that you projected onto him that he didn't necessarily tap into. Um, and I, I think that that was particularly true for a, a few years stretch on defense. Um, you know, you look at a guy who was 6'9", moved like a point guard, um, and, and should have been able to be a guy like Scottie Pippen, where he was, you know, just the one of the best defensive players in the league at the same time that he was a, a great scorer and passer and things like that, and, and didn't necessarily uh, do that solely simply because of how much he had to do on the other end. Like if he had, if it had worked out with him and Grant Hill, and he could have been like the Scottie Pippen to 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 Grant Hill's. Uh, you know, alpha dog Jordan on offense, he he could have been like an all-defensive type guy like Pippen was, I think. Mm-hmm. But it just wasn't in the cards. Yeah. You know, I was a little bit surprised is that he's actually, even though, you know, he's sort of lacking longevity compared to some of his peers, he's, he's 128th all-time in minutes. Like, he's ahead of, like, Bob Cousy, Kevin McHale, James Worthy, Dennis Rodman. I mean, guys who played for a long time, he's ahead of um, those guys. So, I, I, you know, the I think he does have enough elite years, and he played long enough, and, and most of it as an effective player. That I, I, you know, I think you can build a case here. I, I do think he is still kind of um, on the outside looking in, but I do think that there is maybe a a stronger case than you might think. Um, yeah. You know, before examining it, I think if if you were just taking guys' peaks. I think he'd have a better shot, mm-hmm. um, but you, you don't just have a peak in the NBA. You know, like you have a, a full career, and he didn't play much at the start, which you know right away put him sort of uh, behind the eight ball in terms of compiling like uh, all time totals. Um, and then towards the end of his career, when he should have been sort of a guy who was. Um, you know, still still contributing at not necessarily as high of a level as he did before, but someone who maybe like, I'm trying to think of uh, an analogy, maybe, you know, we talked about Gary Payton, like he contributed 
um, you know, still contributed at a, a, a decently high level to uh, a championship team in Miami. Uh, by the, I think he was like 37 um, at that point. Um, T Mac never had that because injuries sort of just just robbed him of that whole stretch of his career as he moved into his mid to late 30s. You know, by the time he was uh, 31 or 32, he just couldn't play anymore. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and if he had, had had like a second act of his career, I guess, you know, like Vince Carter is is still doing, you know, the second act of his career as, you know, a, a pretty high caliber role player uh, for, for good playoff teams. That's something that I think would elevate people's opinion of T-Mac. And certainly he had the skill set where he should have been able to do that. I think you saw that um, for part of a season in Detroit where he played sort of like point forward almost. Um, you know, he, he tried to do it the next year in Atlanta, didn't work out all that well. Um, but he could have been a guy that, that did something like that for, you know, four or five years just based on the skill set that he had. But, you know, because of his knees and his back, he couldn't do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you were going to if you if you were going to pick between Vince Carter or McGrady, let's say they were not, they were in your for number fifty. Who do you who would you put first? Would you put Carter first or would you put McGrady first? Yeah, I think you'd have to go with Vince. Um, not not just because of the longevity, although that certainly factors in. Um, you know, I think T Max peak was probably a little bit higher. Just like the the two years that he was, you know, using like thirty five percent of possessions and, and still assisting on like thirty percent of baskets, and was you know the, one of those years I think he shot like thirty eight thirty nine percent from three. Mm-hmm. Um, but Vince T Max peak was higher. Vince's peak was longer, and he also had you know the the second act of his career as a high caliber role player. Again, that's still going on. Um, you know, Vince also is the best in-game dunker of all time. Um, yeah. Which, you know, is just sort of like a feather in his hat. It's not something that yeah. is is determinative, but I, he I'd, also had that going for him. Yeah, I'd argue for Dominique, by the way, but, but you know. We'll let you yeah, do, we'll, Dominique, yeah. certainly. I mean, Vince, oh my God. Yeah, it, uh, they're you, both in the conversation. Yeah, you're hard-pressed to pick between the two. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to get a, a T-Mac story out there, though. Sure. Because I have one of those also. Um, in uh, 2010, when he was traded to the Knicks midway through the season, right at the deadline, um, the first game that he played with the Knicks was against the Thunder. Um, I coincidentally happened to have tickets to that game uh, in advance. Um, and he came in and it was like the vintage T-Mac show. Yeah. He was hitting pull up jumpers. Um, he, he finished the game with something like 26, five and five or something like that. Like it was basically like exactly what you would think of as a peak T-Mac game. He was hitting jumpers all over the place, getting to the rim. It was like this crazy close back and forth game went to overtime uh, Durant hit a, like a, a bank three to send the game into overtime, and then he hit another three to win the game at the buzzer in overtime. 
But, you know, T-Mac was just like, for one night, it was like watching him exactly like he was before. Um, and, and, you know, for a guy that was my favorite player for a long time, to see him on my favorite team, to do that in Madison Square Garden, um, you know, after he had basically not played for like two months because, you know, him and the Rockets were having sort of a standoff, um, he, he just came out and it was like, bang, he was right back to his old, his old self. And it was one of the, the craziest things that I've ever seen live at a basketball game. Uh, it was really cool. Yeah, I remember that. I watched that game on TV, or at least some of that game on TV. I remember the, the crowd going crazy and just the atmosphere. Oh, yeah. Uh, Everybody was, really was chanting, T-Mac, team. Yeah. I had these two kids behind me that were sitting there with their dad that literally every time he touched the ball, for some reason, they thought he was going to hear them and respond. And they would just be like, T-Mac! T-Mac! Me, my, my uh, I was in law school at the time, my, and me and my roommate were the ones that were at the game together. And still, we will talk about those. It's you know five years, five plus years later now. We will still talk about how annoying those two kids sitting behind us were during that game. Nice. It was oh my god, it was unbearable. Um, he had like a half like that for the Hawks in the uh, 2012 playoffs against the uh, Celtics. Yep. I remember I wrote about that for the first uh, NBA blog that I started oh, nice. back in the day. Yeah, I mean, he had like a, a 12, uh, 12 points, 9 rebounds. Like all of it was like in the first half. Like he clearly had nothing left. He played 40 minutes in that game for whatever reason. But, you know, for yeah, for a quarter for that half, I remember him like it, it was like, oh, yeah, you know, this is, you know, what he was or or a facsimile of what he was. And it was. You know, kind of need to see. There weren't really that many good Hawks memories for uh, for Team Echo than that, but um, but but that was nice. Oh yeah, it was. Oh, man, it was incredible. Uh, so, Jerry, anything else before we go? Um, yeah, you know what that um, the dunk contest that he did too. Uh, or no, he didn't do the one that Vince was in. He did, I think, the one the year after, maybe. Um, because he didn't want to go against Vince. Oh, okay. Um, or maybe he did go against Vince. I don't remember. I, I wasn't really paying attention uh, around that time. He either did the one against Vince or, or sat it out and did the one the year after. But um, he was also like Vince's uh, passer for that crazy dunk contest. Oh, like, he was right. the one that that held the ball up for one of the dunks and bounced it for one of the other dunks. So he had like that, that cool moment that he was a part of also. Yeah. Uh, he was in the 2000 dunk contest. That's the one, that's the famous one, right? McGrady was. He was in that one. He was in that I'm one. I'm trying it, to remember. It appears. Oh, yeah, he was in that. Okay. Yes, because that was his last year with Toronto. Right. And they were in it together. Yeah. It was the two of them, Steve Francis. Wasn't Jason Richardson in that, or was he not yet? Jay Rich okay. and Desmond Mason. Oh, yeah. That, that's the. Yeah. yeah. That was a great dunk contest. My yeah. God. Yeah. That was incredible. Yeah. All right, Jerry. Well, uh, thanks uh, so much for uh, joining me. I uh, appreciate it very much. Some uh, some good memories and good stories. You always, well, you always have a good uh, story about a player, so we'll <laughs> you know count on you for that. And um, that's what happens when you're uh, pushing thirty. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. 
Um, so thanks everyone for uh, checking us out. We're continuing to do these uh, shows looking at the uh, top 50 players, uh, looking at the candidates and eventually deciding on our own uh, over and back uh, top 50. So we appreciate everyone uh, checking us out. And um, so until next time, thanks very much. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.